This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Russia's having trouble getting people to fight against Ukraine, so they're resorting to alternative methods. They are trying to mobilize people um, on the temporarily occupied territories. Yuri Sack, an advisor to Ukraine's Minister of Defense, says it's not working. Because nobody wants to go and die. They get no training, they get no preparation, they're just thrown as this uh, meat grinder warfare. And Sack says there's another true sign of Russian desperation that's emerging. Russians are now actually releasing prisoners from prisons in return for their service for the but he says that too is backfiring. Our defense intelligence reports that, you know, most of these guys, they will just run away. The latest on the war in Ukraine, coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Every day there are new developments in Ukraine. We learn about a lot of it from news outlets like this one, and we learn about it from social media, mostly from people who are posting things that they've learned about. But I found the best source of information for us as far as the war in Ukraine goes is Yuri Sack. He's a special advisor to the Minister of Defense in Ukraine, and he joins us on this episode to discuss it. Yuri, thank you for taking time to talk to us. It's been a while since we've engaged with you. You've been a very busy man as well as the rest of the country and the military there. Um, Yeah, indeed. Good to be back. Yeah. Where do things stand right now today? Well, you know, if um, you and I, if we had this conversation about two weeks ago, uh, then I would have been probably more grim and uh, less optimistic. But since uh, recently, um, and if you look at the timeline of this war, um, we can state that after the orderly withdrawal of Ukrainian troops from Lysychansk in Luhansk region, Uh, Ukrainian army in the east has fallen back on the pre-prepared defense lines and is holding back the enemy uh, very efficiently because during the last two weeks, uh, the enemy, you know, they haven't made any territorial gains. The the offensive that they launched earlier and the offensive, the military objective of which was for them to gain full control of the Donbass area, which includes Luhansk and uh, Donetsk regions. Now, that hasn't materialized. And uh, uh, so from this perspective, we are probably, you know, looking at a more stabilized front line, uh, which is very important. Uh, Of course, a key part in this, a key role in this was played by the Ukrainian by the use of the Ukrainian army of the HIMARS systems, which we received from the U.S. 
and which we are efficiently using on the front lines. So what that meant is, in practical terms, is that during the last 10 or so days, uh, by using these HIMARS systems, Ukrainian armed forces have been able to destroy over 50 ammunition depots, warehouses, and command centers of the Russian aggressor, which means that we have disrupted entirely their logistics. And it means that they've had to withdraw their logistic hubs to beyond 100 kilometers from the front line, which means that the intensity of the artillery shelling, which we have discussed with you before on our calls, and you remember the previous times I was using words like a barrage of artillery, a rain of artillery shelling. So now it has decreased considerably. And of course, because this is the only way these war criminals know how to fight. Yeah. This is the only thing that they were able to do, right? So they, they are unable to uh, beat Ukrainian soldiers on the battlefield. So what they were doing, they would, first of all, destroy the whole cities, raise them to the ground by using artillery. And then they move in with the infantry and, you know, uh, they move in when the yeah. Ukrainian army would withdraw because essentially there would be nothing left to defend. Yuri, so the what- situation... Yeah. Sorry. What is it about the HIMARS that allowed you to do this? That what are the characteristics, uh, the the capabilities that the HIMARS give you that allowed you to do this 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 work that essentially uh, set back the Russian effort? Look, I just want to before I tell you about the characteristics of the HIMARS systems, I just want to tell you and your uh, listeners that uh, by now. HIMARS is a household name in Ukraine, just like javelins and stingers were uh, two months ago. And uh, it is very probable that people will start calling their children HIMARS. You know, we we have to still decide about the gender, you know, whether whether HIMARS will be boys or girls. But uh, so indeed, these are uh, these systems are magnificent in terms of their efficiency on the battlefield. First of all, because they're highly mobile. So these systems, they can relocate so fast. They are pretty much untrackable for the enemy. And, uh, you know, uh, the enemy, I've heard uh, rumors and this is unconfirmed, but I heard rumors that Russians are sending, you know, like special uh, their top elite special operations units to hunt down high marshes on the Ukrainian territory because high marshes have become the Russians' nightmare. So they're highly mobile. Second of all, they are highly, uh, these are high precision weapon systems. It means that they are guided by uh, satellite navigation systems and they are very capable of hitting targets exactly where they should hit them. Unlike the old-fashioned Russian artillery, which they are using, like, for example, today they have shelled the city of Nikopol, which is in Dnepropetrovsk region. Unfortunately, again, there were civilian casualties. There, there was a teenage boy who was killed. Uh, there were about nine people who were wounded seriously. Uh, two people were killed. And this was a strike by the Russian version of Soviet old-style multi-launch rocket systems called HRAD. So these systems, they are not high precision. They hit and they cover the whole area. So 40 missiles 
are fired at the same time and they sporadically, arbitrarily hit wherever they fall. They, they're not guided. They're not high precision. They're not precision at all. So they, they just, you know, vaguely hit an area. And of course, they hit civilian houses, residential areas, kindergartens, schools, theaters. We have spoken about this before. And of course, this results in casualties. Now, um, so high precision is number two, mobility and high precision. And of course, number three, which is why, you know, why in the first place we were asking for these systems is their firing range. So their firing range at the moment of the ones that we are getting is 80 kilometers. Now, 80 kilometers is something that we did not have before. And now that we have this 80 kilometer firing range, so you understand that it, it gives us a capability to push the, uh, you know, the ammunition, we will destroy it over 50, right? But it means that within the 80 kilometers uh, line, uh, there are, the enemy is not able to uh, recharge their cannons, to recharge their MLRS systems. And, and this is, of course, a huge gain for Ukraine. And this is why the Russian offensive has stalled. And they're trying to put on like a good face while the game is foul. Uh, but uh, we're seeing we're seeing these are good results. But at the same time, I have to say that, you know, while we're optimistic about these developments, we're we're uh, at the same time very, very bitter about the continued tactics of terror yeah. because Russia continues to fire missiles at Ukrainian cities on a daily basis. And since you and I, since we last spoke, there was a horrendous attack on the city of Vinitsa, right? During which like little children were killed. Children who were walking with their parents in the street were attending a doctor in the, in, in, in the medical center. Uh, and, uh, you know, with, in the blink of a moment because of the strike, they're dead. So uh, the terror tactics continues, and this is why, on a daily basis, we call on our international partners to recognize Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism, because this is what they are. They're war criminals, they're murderers, they're looters, and they are terrorists. Yeah, you're right um, in terms of all of that. Um, one of the things that I'd like to get to, a couple things, just very briefly, a um, couple of quick questions, quick answers. You know, we talked some time ago about Russia having trouble mobilizing fighters um, from their military to fight. And in the last few weeks since we've spoken, I've heard that they have resorted to some pretty significant or interesting tactics to try to fill their ranks. What are, what are they doing? How far are they willing to go to try to get people to fight? Well, look, I've heard uh, I've heard. For example, our minister of foreign, uh, our minister of defense, uh, Mr. Alexei Reznikov, he was uh, delivering a speech at Atlantic Council uh, uh, yesterday, and he said that, for example, um, during the battle for Severodonetsk, Ukrainian army has destroyed around eleven thousand Russian soldiers, uh, but this eleven thousand comprises of uh, roughly nine thousand Russian regular army forces. And 2,000 of those people who are who have been forcibly mobilized in uh, Donetsk and Luhansk region, right? In these fake republics, the, uh, Donetsk People's Republic, uh, fake Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic. So this is number one. So what they're doing is they are trying to mobilize people um, on the temporarily occupied territories. And of course, this does not... 
uh, help local populations uh, in terms of you know being in support of Russia because nobody wants to go and die and because they get no training they get no preparation they're just thrown as uh, you know into this uh, meat grinder warfare which is what Russians call it right and they're dying in batches we've also heard that Russians are now actually releasing prisoners from war from from prisons uh, and promising them uh, you know uh, release from their sentences uh in return for their service for the army but uh, our defense intelligence reports that you know most of these guys you know who agree uh to serve uh, to leave the prison and join the armed forces they will just run away because you know these are criminals they, they don't yeah. they're not interested in fighting they, they're not motivated so the, the soon the, as soon as they see the battlefield they will just run the other way and uh so yes indeed russia has uh, has a huge problem with uh resources they uh on the one hand they have unlimited amounts of resources at this on the other hand they're unable to mobilize them and uh, you know uh the further this war continues the worse it will get for Russians yeah the, the last thing I'd like to ask you Yuri uh, is a couple of days ago the president announced that there are two high profile Ukrainian officials that have been removed from their positions uh, suspended because of concerns about treason. Uh, and I don't think he was saying that these individuals themselves yeah. were um, suspected of treason, but people working in their agencies, hundreds of people, lots of cases, and a number of Ukrainians that I've spoken to over the past few days have said that was a huge problem. What's your perspective on this? What have you heard about this? Well, look, JJ, um, this process of cleansing of our special forces and special services agencies, it began a long time ago. Now, in 2014, the reason why the Ukrainian army was unable, for example, to resist the annexation of Crimea and the reason why a lot of things happened the way they did was exactly because since day one of Ukraine's independence, Russia was investing resources and time into infiltrating their uh, people into our security services, into our military structures, into our, you know, into every area of Ukraine's life, because they knew that, you know, they, they wanted to rely on, on their spies and on their people, insiders, in order to disrupt Ukraine's uh, path of independence. So this, this is not a new problem for us. We knew about this all along. Uh, and of course, uh, we, 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 as a country, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a government, um, Efforts have been taken before to cleanse our uh, special services and intelligence units from these Russian insiders and Russian traders. Now, at the same time, uh, the beginning of this war has uh, demonstrated that, you know, there is still a lot of work that needs to be done because there are still a lot of unanswered questions. One of the big ones is, for example, why... Why was Kherson taken over by Russians so fast? And this is something that will be subject to, you know, further investigation. And of course, the uh, people who, if the investigation uh, uncovers that there are people who have been involved and, and have made willful acts that resulted in the quick um, uh, takeover by the aggressors of Kherson, they will be held accountable. 
But at the same time, uh, according to the president, and this is what he confirmed uh, in a number of his statements following this announcement of, uh, about the resignation of the general prosecutor and the head of the special service uh, uh, of Ukraine, um, security service, I mean, uh, is that, uh, you know, these people themselves, those who were fired, they themselves, uh, nobody thinks they're traitors. Nobody thinks they are, they have, on the contrary, some of the things that they have done, both, from the beginning of the war, uh, they have been very, you know, patriotic and efficient. Like, for example, you and I, we have discussed how quickly Ukraine is now trying to collect data about the war crimes and bring those people who are the war criminals to justice. So, and 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 to uh, the general prosecutor Irina Venediktova, who was fired, she was actually, you know, the uh, she spearheaded this process. She uh, created. Uh, good relations with the European investigators, with international criminal court, with like people from the EU who are uh, forensic uh, experts and stuff like that. So uh, she, but they both have done good things. But in the view of the president, they have not done enough to ensure that the process of cleansing, the process of getting rid of these traders inside the ranks of these services is fast enough. And this is, you know, this is a wartime we cannot afford because every day such people remain where they are. Every day a trader can uh, give away the location of our units, give away other sensitive confidential information. So things need to be happening faster. And this is the reason why they were removed from office. Well, Yuri, uh, thank you again for taking time to talk to us. I know it's late there and um, these are very long days for you. But we always appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, and your information is always spot on and very, very helpful. So thank you again, as always, for talking to us. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, J.D. Speak soon. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, the war in Ukraine. For people living in the West, especially in the U.S., it's important to understand. This is our war. This is not Ukraine's war. Douglas London is a retired CIA senior operations officer. Here's why he says this is our war. This is Putin attacking one of Europe's largest countries, a country that was aligning itself with the West and moving towards a pluralistic society. So what's the Kremlin's end game? Putin is not going to stop there. London says the West has tried everything in the book. We kept looking for resets, giving him off-ramps, face-saving ways. He says the only thing Putin wants is total domination. We'll discuss it. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, Cobra Kai fans, come hear what Peyton Liss has to say on Kicking It With The Coves this week. Peyton plays one of my favorite characters, Tori Nichols. Our stunt coordinators came up with a sort of training background for each character. Mm, like, that's interesting. Uh, Tori had done a little kickboxing before, so that kind of came in when I first tried to take on Miguel and why I was cocky enough to think that 
you know, I could come in here and I could just make an entrance. Listen to Kicking It with the Coves now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, and wherever you can sweep your leg and get the podcasts.